0: So go ahead and subscribe to us and follow along. One of the greatest castles in all of Ireland came to an unexpected and unusual end. The owner and the family that had lived in uh, the castle, Castle Ray, had long abandoned the house, and over the years it had fallen into disrepair, neglect. So as it would turn out, the peasants in the region would gradually come to to pillage from the castle. They would take the stones to their own houses and use them and repurpose them until one day when Lord Londonderry, the only living heir to the family estate, came back to see the castle that had been left him. He had seen that it had fallen into disrepair and neglect and so he he hired an agent to do something for him to restore the castle and he he said i want you to build a wall i want you to build a wall around the entire castle i want you to make it six feet high and culped with stone hoping to protect the castle and then he went on his way he had a trip to make into france and he was gone many months when he returned to check on his property he came into his delight he saw the most amazing wall it was beautiful six feet high and culped with stone and no castle he was completely caught off guard he called the agent who had built the wall for him and he said i see that you've built the wall and it's spectacular But the castle has disappeared into thin air. Where is the castle? And the agent said, Well, my Lord, why would I go all over the island digging up rocks when the finest stones on the island were in the castle? You can build a wall and lose the castle. You and I live in a wall-weary world. A wall-weary world, and I'm not talking just about physical walls made of stone as we think about the Berlin Wall or the Great Wall of China or the controversial wall on our southern border. I'm talking about the wall of the heart, the wall that we erect in our minds. We live in a wall-weary world where we are partitioned off against one another. We are divided racially, culturally, politically, theologically, ideologically. There is this chasm-creating experience called the human journey, and you and I are seeing the fruits of it. This is a wall-weary world, and never before can I remember a time that has been as divided as now. And the church is intended to show the world something better. So when the Apostle Paul is writing his letter to the Ephesians, he he says to them, Look, I, I realize the division that is among you. See, at the time he recognized that the Jews and the Gentiles had this great divide. And the only way that you and I can appreciate the level of animosity and hatred they had for one another is to say to you, listen, go find the nastiest Facebook post that you can see, where one side is lobbing rocks across the field to the other side, and think of the venom, think of the animosity and hatred that even in our own country, one way of thinking embodies toward another way of thinking and you can call it red and blue, you could call it liberal conservative, you can call it black-white, you can call it whatever, but in this binary choose-your-side existence that we call America right now, there is a wall between us. And the ancient Ephesians recognized that reality because between the Jews and the Gentiles there was this great division, and Paul, the great apostle, said to them, you have the opportunity to show the world something better, and this is how he put it. For he, that's Jesus, Jesus is our peace. In his flesh, he has made both groups into one and has broken down the dividing wall. That is the hostility between us. Beloved sisters and brothers, in Christ Christ, in his own flesh, the crucifixion and the resurrection of Christ is intended to dismantle every erected wall between us. We, we erect walls between us and God and we keep God at a distance. We erect walls between us and us, one another, and, and we, even, we build walls of partition even inside the self. Where we partition off parts of our lives so that we don't think about them, don't have to recognize them, own up to them, take responsibility for them. And Paul says there is in Christ the capacity to erase every perceived wall of division. So we're in this series called Resurrection, and today is the last part in our series called Resurrection. And what I've been saying along the way is I've said we've got this audacious claim that you and I actually can experience the true aliveness of resurrection, but the truth is many of us will never experience the fullness of life that Jesus intended when he said, look, I've come that they might have life and they might have it more abundantly or to the fullest. Some of us will never experience that because of the reality that we live in a wall-wearied world and we keep Constructing walls, and the problem is it's like the wall and the castle. We build walls to secure ourselves in the midst of a fearful time. Last week we talked about how we are a fear gripped world right now. We build these walls to secure ourselves so that I feel better about how I think, how I feel, how I believe, how I live. We construct the walls, but the, we are constructing them out of the materials of the soul. And if We don't recognize that even we in the church are building walls between each other. One day we will wake up and see that the castle is gone, the castle of the soul. Resurrection is intended to to break down every perceived barrier between us. What I've been saying along the way is, look, resurrection is not just this one-time event, but resurrection is this all-the-time invitation to a way of life. And today, I saved one last resurrection passage for the final part of this series. It's a strange passage. I kept it to last because maybe, maybe this is the most important one. There's this obscure passage in Matthew's gospel. We're about to read it in a minute. But in Matthew chapter 27, there's this, this passage where at the resurrection, Jesus is raised from the, the, the dead. And the text says that, that he, as he is raised, other bodies who were in tombs around the city were raised to life as well. Did you know that? Are you, have you seen this this Strange passage where dead people on the weekend of resurrection, other dead people were raised and walked out of their tombs and into the holy city. I began to look more deeply into it and began to read the the context around that passage, and I began to see a theme that has something to do with walls. We pick up the passage in verse 50 of chapter 27. Then Jesus cried again with a loud voice, and he breathed his last. At that moment, the curtain of the temple, pay attention to the, to the action in this passage. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook and the rocks were split. The tombs also were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised after his resurrection they came out of the tombs and entered the holy city and appeared to many now when the centurion and those with him who were keeping watch over jesus saw the earthquake and and what what took place they were terrified and said truly this man was god's son it's a bizarre passage really with all kinds of resurrection action going on. Upon the resurrection, we're told that at his death, the veil of the temple was split from top to to bottom. The veil was split, the earth quaked, rocks split open, tombs burst open, and the dead walked again. And I want to suggest that the true power of resurrection is that the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus and the resurrection that is your invitation to be alive has the capacity to literally, tangibly erase every perceived barrier between us and God, between us and each other, and between us and our segmented, compartmentalized inner life. The veil was from top to bottom. You remember talking about the veil back from our study in Exodus and Leviticus. And during that time, I I described to you that if you think about the the anatomy of the tabernacle, or, or later, the anatomy of the temple in Jerusalem, it was constructed architecturally in such a way as to move from plainness to spectacular from ordinary to extraordinary from mundane and profane to sacred and holy so that means that in this inner sanctum the holy of holies where it was believed that the presence of god on earth abided from there the furthest parts of the temple would be made of even materials that were plain wood and wool and and as you moved closer to the outer court and the inner court and then eventually the inner sanctum and then ultimately the Holy of Holies, the construction of the temple was made with gradations of holiness. tiers or levels of beauty and grace and, and sacred material as you move closer and closer to the Holy until you get into the Holy of Holies where only the Ark of the Covenant and its contents, a little leftover manna, some fragments from the Ten Commandments, Aaron's rod. Only that sacred piece of furniture remained in this sacred holy of holies, and that's where God was perceived to be alive. But separating God's holy space from the rest of the profane world was this curtain, this massive woven curtain that separated the holy from the profane, the sacred from the mundane. It's so holy that only one person, one time each year, the holy high priest, could enter into the holy of holies and make petition and sacrifice for the sins of the people. It was so holy that at times the legend is a rope would be tied around his ankle in case he were to just fall over dead in the presence of such holiness so they could pull him on out, right? At the resurrection, Matthew says that the veil that separated God from all humankind, the veil that separated the sacred from the profane was torn in two. But it wasn't torn in two from the bottom up as if somebody might have done it themselves. It wasn't torn in two from side to side as if the earthquake and the tectonic plates beneath their feet somehow made it happen. It was ripped from top to bottom as if to proclaim to the universe, this is God's doing. That after resurrection, God was rending a thunder. Every perceived separation between humanity and divinity. As if to say, I am accessible now to you. And the writer of Hebrews puts it more beautifully than I could possibly express. The writer of Hebrews says it this way, so friends, we can now, without hesitation, walk right up to God into the holy place. Jesus has cleared the way by the blood of his sacrifice, acting as our priest." Before God, the curtain into God's presence is his body at the resurrection. The veil which was torn from top to bottom was a statement that every barrier that we erect between us and God, God did not erect, but we did. And that God is constantly attempting to tear us under every perceived separation That God has been, has always been, is now, and will always be accessible to you. And I say that because I know that somebody today is listening to what I'm saying, and you feel as far away from God as, as anybody. You feel isolated and alone, and it may be because of something that you did. All right, so welcome to the human race, okay? Or it may have been something that somebody did to you, and you may bear some wounds of some abuse, or it may be that you, that you can't seem to shake free from some pattern or addiction or some life-taking energy that has gripped you, and because of it, you assume that there's this curtain between you and God, and you can never get past it. Well, here's some good news for you. You can't on your own. You, you can't. I mean, if you assume that there's nothing you can do to make God love you, you're right. God loves you whether you like it or not. God is crazy about you and there's nothing you can do about it. God is attempting even now through resurrection to rend right before your eyes, tear apart whatever it is that you think separates you from God. And the only thing that's required of us is to be aware of that. And in that awareness, to simply allow God to remove the dividing wall, there's this beautiful passage in second Corinthians, I think about chapter three where, where it, Paul talks about there is this veil that we sometimes wear, but in Christ, when one turns to Christ, the veil is removed, and when it is removed, oh my my word. That, when the veil is removed and we see that the veil has been removed when you wake up to the reality that there is no veil between you and god it's as if the text says god is looking at you and you are looking at christ and it's as if christ is looking in a mirror because you are being transformed one degree after the next and i i'm just telling you sometimes we put up walls And we put those walls up between us and God and the resurrection makes this cosmic statement no more. (laughs) This is a a wall-weary world, but the one who made the world and loved the world and sent his son to die on behalf of the world has torn down the dividing wall between you and the one who loves you. That's not the only thing that's going on in this passage, this strange, obscure passage. It says, yes, the veil was torn apart, but it also said there was an earthquake. Did you catch that? An earthquake. It said that the earth shook, and so the rocks split. That's interesting language. The rocks split. Upon the crucifixion weekend, resurrection weekend, rocks split open, and for a long time... I have not known how to really hear or read that text. I'm like, why? What's the big deal? It may have happened, but why would Matthew record it and make sure that we knew that rocks burst open? Well, I thought about it this past couple of weeks because, um, see, at our house these days, we've got a project going on, and part of that project includes building a, a retaining wall. We're kind of cutting into a little hill in the back, and we're trying to put a little retaining wall back there. And we've got this crew, this amazing crew of workers who work and do amazing things with their hands. They can construct and they can deconstruct and put things back together, and we're watching in amazement. And what I noticed a couple of weeks ago is that when they work with cement, concrete, or mortar, they pour this material onto the slab, and they've got concrete mix and sand and water and they've got these shovels and they begin to turn it over and to mix it so that it's all in this great mixture but if they stop mixing it if they slow down before they put it in place the longer they go without stirring it the harder it becomes it can concretize right before their eyes and i saw that and i i thought that's it Because in this wall-weary world, here's something that I know from experience. I know this to be true. If you don't spend some time with somebody who's not like you, your heart will never be stirred and will become hard and impenetrable to understand where they're coming from, and that's where walls begin to erect, right? In Ezekiel, we we hear in Ezekiel that God says it's possible for you to have a heart that becomes stone. This is how he puts it. He says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. If you and I abide safely and securely behind all these symbolic walls that we put up around ourselves so that only those who are like me are inside the wall and only those who think like me or talk like me or dress like me or listen to the same music as me or vote like me or pray like me, if I only allow those inside my wall to look like me, my heart will never be hurt. Stirred to consider the reality that there are nearly 8 billion people on this planet. That means there are nearly 8 billion ways God is attempting to be seen and known and loved even as we speak. And if I want to be content with only knowing God in the way that I have encountered God, well, that's fine, but my heart will be stone. He says, I see your heart as stone, but I will give you a new heart. I will give you a new heart. And the reason so many of us are throwing stones at each other in this world in which we live right now is because we refuse to let God do a sacred heart transplant. But The problem is our hearts, and I'm talking about me too, all of us, our hearts can become so concretized for so long that it requires being transformed. So the other day, I, I come home late at night and, it, and it's, it's already after the crew has, has been relieved and they've gone home. And what I noticed when I walked around the back to look and see how the project's going is that there was this sidewalk that they had poured that I didn't ask for, right? This a big sidewalk, it was a beautiful job, but we didn't need a sidewalk, and it was already concretized, set up, it was put in place, and it was not supposed to be there. So I had a conversation with him, I said, look, I don't know, maybe there's miscommunication, maybe I wasn't clear, but I really really don't need this here. This is actually going to be in the way. The next day, (laughs) like about seven or eight of them with sledgehammers in the span of about seven minutes went to town on that sidewalk and crushed it. I mean, they went nonstop busting that concrete up into gravel that was then scooped up and mixed into the concrete that was supposed to be placed in the right spot. And I said, that's it. For some of us, it requires that if our hearts have become stone and and most of the time we say to ourselves, I just don't understand why they think that way. How could anybody live like that? I don't understand those people at all and those people and that group and that person. That may be a clue that the heart is becoming stone and the only way to experience resurrection is to allow the sacred sledgehammer of resurrection to burst through the heart of stone. To 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 turn it into gravel so that he can give us a heart of flesh once more. And that heart of flesh beat in rhythm with his own. There's a beautiful passage in Jeremiah where he recognizes, and God says, I recognize that long ago i wrote my covenant with you upon tablets of stone but there's coming a day when i will not write my name upon tablets of stone but i will write them upon your heart when jesus was raised from the dead the earth shook beneath their feet and and the rocks were split open (laughs) because that's exactly what God wants to do with me and with you, because can you not feel the earth shaking these days? Can can you not feel the rumble of something beneath our feet? And you and I both know that we're not exactly sure how all this is going to settle, but maybe that's the whole point. Romans 8 talks about the earth itself, groans with longing for its redemption, for its transformation, and maybe everything you're seeing right now, everything that you and I are talking about right now is a part of this groaning that is, that is meant by the resurrected king to turn our hearts of stone into hearts of flesh that we may beat in rhythm with his. So so at the resurrection, it's not only that the veil was split and that God removed the perceived separation we have with God, and it's not only that rocks split open, demonstrating that God desires for us to break open the hardness of heart that we have with one another in order to know and live and abide with one another. But the text also says, And the bodies of many of the saints were raised and walked and we're seen walking into the city. Now, that's the strangest part of this text for me, to be honest with you. That's the strangest. And, I, and honestly, it's the only place in the Gospels where that part of the story is, is reported. Who are these people? I mean, who are these saints that got up and walked again? Do they have names? No. The Bible doesn't say that they have. The Bible says nothing about them. It doesn't say where they went afterwards. It doesn't say what became of them. It's only left to speculation. So why would Matthew find it important? Luke didn't find it. But Mark, John didn't find it important to tell us this part of the story. Why would Ma- Matthew tell us that when Jesus was raised, so were others? Well, I don't completely know, but there is this passage So, you know, the passage that began this sermon was in Ephesians chapter 2, where it talks about the walls of separation. uh, Hostility have been removed because in his flesh he removes the the wall of separation or the wall of hostility between us. In that same letter in Ephesians, just two chapters later in chapter 4, we find this interesting verse. Therefore it is said, When he ascended on high, he made captivity itself captive. He gave gifts to his people. He made captivity itself captive. You know, what's what's not surprising about Jesus, if you are around long enough, you realize what's not surprising is he's able to set a person free from a thing, right? I mean, he can set an individual free from that, that individual's personal struggle. I mean, we know because we have stories you are a living story about how he has the capacity to set you free from a thing. I am a story about how he can set a person free from a certain thing. I mean, he can set a person free from fear. He can set a person free from addiction. He can set a person free from patterns of self-destruction. He can, he can set a person free from the wounds of, of the past yeah he can set a person free from hate from prejudice from racism he can he can set a person free from any number of things but do you know what's powerful about the resurrection because i told you it's not that it was just a one-time event but it's rather an all the time invitation to a way of life what's interesting to me about the resurrection is that he sets captivity free the text says he took captivity as captive that means he doesn't just set people free from the thing that keeps them captured but he sets the entire experience of captivity free another way to put it is he puts death To death, another text from 1 Corinthians, we read it this way. When this perishable body puts on imperishability and this mortal body puts on immortality, then the saying that is written will be fulfilled. Watch this. Death has been swallowed up in victory. The dead walk on Easter weekend because the victory that we have in the resurrection is that death, no longer wins. Not just his death on the cross, but your death, not just your coming death, but the death you live with every day. The dying and the decay, whatever it is that keeps you perceiving as if you can never live fully alive. Because you've been listening now for 10 weeks, me talking about uh, Irenaeus of the second century said, hey, listen, the delight, the glory of God is a human person fully alive and Jesus came to give you full aliveness and you've been hearing me say that but all the while while you know that in, in some ways you're keeping that at a distance because you recognize there may be some reason why I am still entombed while everyone else is fully alive and Jesus, through the resurrection to new life, takes the death that you live with every day and takes the keys out of death's hands. You were made to be free from the tombs that you live in every day. And not just like someday, like when we all die and we all go to heaven or something, but Jesus, especially in Matthew's gospel, is trying to demonstrate that the kingdom that we're all waiting for has come. That it's here, that it begins now, that eternity is right now, that forever is right here, and it begins and never ends. That's why when these who were dead on that Easter weekend got up and walked out of their tombs, there's an interesting phrase. The text says that they, they walked into the holy city. It's not an accident that he said it that way, Matthew. It's not an accident because they who were dead have always been longing for the holy city. Aren't you? I mean, aren't you? Isn't that holy city, that, that Jerusalem of the age to come, right, is what the dead of the ages have always longed for? So maybe these saints who got up and walked around on Easter weekend along with Jesus' resurrection are there to remind you and remind me. They're nameless, they're faceless because maybe they're us. Maybe the thing that we've been longing for, the kind of freedom that gets us into the kingdom is right here and is right now. And that means that resurrection is inviting you to be a part of this holy city, not somewhere else and not sometime else, but the holy city of the heart where Christ abides and is alive. How does this sound to your ears today? I mean, it's possible that you're hearing me talk about all these walls of separation, but you're in a place personally where you're like, this sounds great. I would love to live in a wall-less world. But here I am making my way through a wall-weary world. I keep bumping into barriers and partitions everywhere I go. And sometimes it's a partition that I have between me and God, and I can't seem to do anything to get around the curtain. And I'm saying to you, you don't have to. The curtain is gone. Or maybe you keep bumping into these partitions because you just don't understand why that group is marching and why that group is posting what it's posting and why aren't you up in the streets with us? And you you keep bumping into the walls that separate people from people. And maybe the frustration that you feel is the earth shaking beneath your feet because God is attempting to split open a heart of stone so that your heart can beat in rhythm with his. Or maybe Maybe the wall that you walk into every day when you wake up is today's going to be the same as yesterday. I'm going to be in this tomb. I'm going to have the same predictable end to this day that I did yesterday. I'm going to be entombed. I will not have the kind of joy or fullness or reconciliation or peace that I see other people having because I've already died in that part of my heart. And maybe you need to be aware that that separation between you and life is gone maybe you need to pray this way today I mean right where you are sitting in your chair in your bed on your couch maybe you need to pray this way you know God I don't know what to do I, I just know how I feel and I can't always trust how I feel I, I know what I think but usually if I let my thinking lead me, it leads me back into another wall. I don't, so I'm asking you to hear me say, I I don't know what to do without you. And I I don't know what next step to take other than to lay down my hands and relinquish my own attempt to control control or, or construct my life walls and separation and but I need you I confess to you that I need you to to come with a kind of sacred sledgehammer and, and break up the part of my heart that has resisted you and if you do that I, I'll receive you I mean I'll let you in I'll give you a shot <laughs> forgive me of all the ways that I have built a barrier between me and you and help me live free, resurrected, alive. I pray in the name of Jesus who tore down every barrier, amen. So maybe you prayed that today. Maybe you thought that in your head. Maybe just listen to me say it. And You're like, that sounds pretty good. That, that speaks for me. That counts, that counts. If you said it and meant it in your heart, it counts. But I want you to say something to somebody about it. Don't keep that as a secret. I want you to tell somebody that you have taken some step to open your life and to knock down the walls. Tell me if you need to. You can email me. I want you to email me. The email's on the screen. If you pray a prayer like that and, and, and you know that God is beginning to do something in you, a kind of deconstruction project. Tell me so that I can pray for the reconstruction that's coming. But wherever it is that you go from here, and whatever it is that you do today, this week, may Christ go before you to prepare your way. May Christ go behind you on the days that you fear and you feel like retreating to encourage you one step further at a time. May Christ go to your right and Christ to your left, abiding closer than even a sister or a brother. May Christ go above you on the dark days when dark clouds roll in to remind you that there is one above the clouds who at the end of the day has the final word. May Christ go beneath you, girding you with confidence and removing all forms of fear. But mostly, may Christ go in you transforming you from the inside out until your hearts beat in rhythm.